need, we need like, we need like 20 minutes just to kind of hang out and like bond with each other, you know? It's like one of the things, as soon as we break the room out, which is very important, you know, is that, you know, it's just so beautiful, you know, you almost don't want to disrupt it. I start seeing everybody interacting with each other and, and um, so it's just really cool. So I'm told that that hot chocolate is not just any ordinary chocolate, it's like real hardcore chocolate. Not your average mix with water hot chocolate. So you get a glucose rush as soon as you hit, you take one and you're like, whoa. So anyway, everybody say it with me. It's time, it's time to, start. to start. So we're talking about Christmas Eve. What a beautiful, beautiful time of the year it is. And I know a lot of you, this is a message for you because it's all winding down. And you're like, Christmas is supposed to be about peace. How come I don't have any? How come I feel stressed out? How come it's like everything's like I'm like vibrating? You know, you're always remembering, oh my gosh, I got to get my aunt a gift. I forgot about her. You know, you're always like kind of everything's running up. We start the Christmas season with such high tidings. And then all of a sudden when it gets closer and closer to the date, you feel a little stressed out. I don't know if you all are like me. Okay. So like it gets a little frantic, gets a little hectic there as we wind into the day. But now we can all just take a breath because we have arrived. Christmas is about the gift of peace. It's one of the things Jesus came to give to us. Christ came to impart many, many things to us, but one of the things he came to do was bring peace. And so it's important we understand peace. I like to take, elevate, and I like to educate us as Christians because we use a lot of words and we use a lot of phrases and we use a lot of sayings in the church, but we really don't take the time to understand the depth of the meaning of what it is that we're actually talking about. And one of those things is peace. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, the angels came forth and they spoke to the shepherds and they said, this will be a sign to you. A prophetic sign. You will go forth and find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with that messenger angel, praising God in the highest, saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth and to those to whom His favor rests. Jesus came to you to let you know that you were favored. God did not do this on His own. He put favor on your life. Whether you know Jesus today or whether you don't, God's eye is towards you. It's towards you. He favored us. So we talk about love and we wonder where love is and what love's all about. And we say, well, love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. Love is a decision, Christian. It's actually a verb in our dictionary. It's a choice and it's an action. You can love anybody. You set your love. God has chosen to set His love on mankind. Now, whether or not we choose to receive that love, whether or not we choose to embrace that love, that decision is ours. But his decision is to set his love upon us. And the angel announced it almost in a mysterious way, like, man, we don't even know what's going on, but we're here to tell you that there's good news for y'all. We don't know why, but he's put his favor on you. There's nothing incredibly awesome about you to where God would favor you. If you read your Bible, that's one of the things that those who experience the love of God reflected on. What is man that you were mindful of us? What is man that you set your affections toward us? Who are we, Lord, that you would love us? Who are we that you would care for us? Romans would tell us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah says, I love you from afar with an everlasting love. Even while we were enemies of God, God loved us. We see this over and over again. 
God's intention towards us in our attitude or our position as we are away from Him. God has come to reconcile you back to Himself. God so loved the world, He gave. Christ came as a gift to bring us back to Him. You cannot come back to God without Jesus Christ. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care what book you read or what seminar you attend or who tells you anything to the contrary. Christ is the only way to be reconciled with God. And there is no other way. And there's that's news one. News number two, ready for this? Let's just say it together. Christmas, Christmas. is about Jesus. Jesus. That's right. Not Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger, and Jingle Bells. Okay? It's about Jesus Christ, Lord at His birth. Right? This is what Christmas is about. Isaiah says, Unto us a child is given, and has been born for us. Unto us a son is given, he has been, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. So unto us a, a child is born, and unto us a son is given. We have these two dynamics we talked about a few weeks ago. We have an earthly son being given, we have an earthly child being given, and we have a divine son. Unto us a child is born. So we have an earthly child birth, a human birth, and we have a son, which is a divine statement. So we have a God-man coming forth, and his name will be the Prince of Peace. There's no peace without Jesus, people. There is no peace without Jesus. And the type of peace that God brings, we're going to talk about that. He gives it to us. There's three types of peace we need. And the type of peace that man needs can only come through Christ. It cannot come through any other means. Alcohol is a temporary solution to your internal conflict. Drugs are a temporary solution to your internal conflict. They're medicators of something deeper going on beneath the soul. Jesus said, I'm giving you the gift of peace. The kind of peace that only I can give. It is not like the world's peace. Human peace is phony. Human peace is temporary. People love you one minute and hate you the next. Aren't you, you know what I'm talking about? It's the way it is. Peace is temporary at best in man's economy. Phony, fragile. Jesus gives us what is true and eternal. Next slide. We'll talk about that. This word peace means to make alive. We think peace is this serenity where you just feel like you're sitting in a lotus position and you're just at zen with the universe and everything is in harmony. Uh, that's not peace. Peace is also not the absence of conflict. That's not peace either. Peace in the New Testament, the Hebrew word is shalom and it means to make alive. Peace I give to you. Life I give to you. I give you a life, a vibrancy, a vitality that no one else can give you. That's what he's talking about. And he says, peace I give you. It also means to rise. Peace I give you. I give you an ability to be alive, and I give you an ability to rise above. That's when people have an absence of peace. They have an inability to rise, and they don't feel like they're alive. That's how they feel. So the type of peace that Jesus gives, he doesn't just make everything without conflict, he gives you something that you cannot get anywhere else. Life. I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly, John 10, 10. He's come to give you an ability to rise. This is why the Bible says we're overcomers. This is why the Bible says nothing can defeat you. Why? This is, not a, this is a promise and a declaration of who we are in Jesus Christ. Not because we possess the ability, but because He grants it to you. 
That is the peace and the power of God, is an ability to rise, an ability to overcome. We need three types of peace. Let's just say it together. Eternal, Eternal. Internal, internal, and external. Our lives are unsettled, chaos, and disrupted because we lack peace. The biggest problem where we lack peace is our inability is to make things right. Our biggest problem, too, and one of the biggest problems people have is they don't have peace with God. You can't have peace with yourself until you have peace with God. You cannot have peace with others until you have peace with yourself. It's a chain reaction. You understand? That's why you're finger-pointing, guilty, condemning, jealous, judgmental of other people because you yourself don't have peace with yourself. That's why you're antagonistic, harsh, critical, demeaning to who you are because you don't have peace with God. You don't like you because you don't know that Jesus likes you. That's the truth. You say, I don't know about that. Yeah. Why don't you just reflect on your life a little bit and watch the patterns and watch the way you think and act and behave. And I guarantee you, without the shalom of God, there's a consistency of what I'm talking about. And that's a problem. Even Christians. Christians don't operate in the power of God because they don't know they're truly loved. They have a hard time with themselves. Guilt, shame, condemnation. Trust me, I spend time talking to people, helping them sort through problems. They're like, well, I feel like God told me that. And I'm like, who told you that? That's not Jesus. Jesus didn't say, if you, if you don't stop this, I'm going to come down and I'm going to remove everything from your life. I'm like, who told you that? That's not your gospel, Christian. God's not harsh and judgmental. The, that, that, that season is gone. We're under the dispensation of grace, spiritual empowerment. God would say to you in that circumstances, admit it and quit it. Get up off the floor. Stop pitying yourself and move on with your life. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, if you don't pull it together, Kevin, I got the bat ready. I'm going to give you one. If you could pull it together, you would. That's the truth. If you could solve your problems, you would. The facts are, and until you get this, you can't solve your problems. He's the wonderful counselor. You're not. So the counsel must come from on high. The power must come from on high. You do not possess it. So you should be free this morning and give yourself a break. You don't have it. So why are you beating you up? Why are you picking on you? Jesus isn't picking on you. He's saying, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. This is the difference. This is the differentiating aspect, differentiating aspect of our faith. We have the wrong perspectives. Christ, you don't know that he loves you. You don't know that he's good. You don't know that he's for you and he's not against you. Every day of your life, in every circumstance, you say, well, what's happening to me? You know, some of you guys, you sow bad seeds. And you wonder because the crop comes up and you think God's doing it to you. No, it's the seeds you're sowing, Christian. It's the things, it's the choices that you're making. It's the people, the places, and the things that you're associating with that are causing this to come into your life. God has nothing to do with it. He told Jerusalem, if you had only known the things that pertain to your peace, how I long to gather you as a hen does its chicks, but you would not. So when all this nonsense happens in your life, don't blame Jesus. There's a lot of people you can blame, but Jesus isn't one of them. Okay? Blame the devil, blame a broken system, blame sin, blame sin, blame your own choices, but you cannot blame Jesus. By a man's action, destruction comes upon him, yet his heart rages against the Lord. We do things, we do stupid things, we blow up the house, pack, boom. Well, I don't understand. 
You know, I didn't think adultery was going to make me lose everything. I just don't understand that. I didn't think alcohol and drug addiction was that big of a deal. I didn't understand that. I didn't think being wasteful with the things that I've been given was going to bring this result. God must hate me. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He's trying to lead you into a path of truth. He's trying to bring you into a path of life. The question is, will you follow? Right? We, what do we do with Jesus? Do we sit with Jesus? Do we hug Jesus? Do we, all those things. Okay, we may embrace him. We may worship him. We may sit where he sits. But the number one thing he said was, starts with an F, and it's not the F-bomb, by the way. <laughs> follow me. You understand? We have to follow Jesus. So when Christ calls us, it's not, hey, come sit with me. He may sit with you. He may counsel you. But ultimately, the end game with Jesus in your life is for you to follow him. His way, not yours. His will, not yours. That's how peace comes. Christ came to make peace between us and God. 2 Corinthians 5.18, this is why Jesus came. He didn't come to create a pretty little manger scene. The, ba the baby was born to die. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was born to live, exemplify the kingdom, testify of the Father, and give his life a ransom for many. No one takes my life, I give it away. Did you know that? They murdered Jesus. Well, that may be true, but he allowed it to happen. Okay? He gave his life away. The Romans had authority over him. The Jews were able to profane him. He was able to be crucified on a cross only because he told Pilate, you'd have no authority over me at all if it were not given to you from above. I don't know about you, but that's a little frightening statement. I cannot imagine looking at him and saying, like, don't you understand the power that I have? Don't you understand what my decree means? And Jesus, with his face all bloodied and marred, looks over him and goes, dude, you'd have no power over me at all if it wasn't granted to you. The Bible says Pilate went out much afraid. <laughs> I'll bet he was much afraid. Since we are made right with God by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, it is an exchange of your being. It is not, I understand all of this intellectually. My parents were Christians, this person. It is being born again. It is taking the old rags of your life and exchanging them for the highest fashion designer you could ever possibly think of and getting that garment given back to you. It is taking the broken, Bible talks about beauty for ashes, taking the burned out, used, abused life that you possess, ashes, and giving the ashes to Jesus, and he gives you beauty in exchange. That's what it means. It's not a prayer. It's not a confession. Prayer is part of it. Confession is part of it. But the biggest thing is, is it's an exchange. You give your life away. I've, I've talked to people. They don't want to give their life away. They want to pray the prayer, but I'm like, you won't be born again. The conversion happens when you give your life away. It's called the born-again experience. His life comes into you, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, something's different. I don't know what's different, but something's different. You, mind, you know what my big thing was? I'll just put myself out there. Okay? I, I used to cuss a lot okay, when I was a kid growing up. Don't ask me why. I had two, or I had two it, probably because the enemy was opposing the very gift that I had, was to speak. And so instead of speaking life, I would speak profanity. You understand that? Right? Now, I didn't cuss around my parents or anything like that, but man, I could cuss like a sailor. I was really good at it. I mean, I could inflect and articulate cuss words in such a way that it actually sounded cool. And so could all my friends. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Right? When I became born again and I gave my life to Jesus, the first thing that became aware to me was I wasn't cussing. That was like absolutely mind-blowing for me. 
You know, that word in Isaiah where he takes the coal from the altar. I've sanctified. I mean, that was like totally my word. Now other people, the last thing that gets saved is their mouth. I've known Christians who get born again. They're born again, but they, they don't think, well, what's wrong with cussing? I don't understand. They're a little bit slow on the curve on that one. I get it. Okay? Different people have different experiences and different encounters, but what happens is that something changes. I had a girl said, I couldn't forgive anybody. Now I can forgive. You're born again. Okay? I had a guy tell me all I saw was anger, concrete, and heat. He's like, I was a violent person. And when you saw this guy, you'd think he's mellow yellow, man. This dude, big dude, crazy dude. You know, he comes to Christ and everything has shifted. That's being born again. Something's changed. You may not be walking in every aspect of his dominion, but something's changed in you. Something has shifted. All things have become new. You may not be experiencing all of the new. All things are available to you new, but there is something that becomes evidence of your salvation. His spirit in you, but something shifts in your life. If you've not experienced that, you need to be born again. And if you have experienced that, Christian, I go back and tell you, draw from the restoration of your faith. Remember the joy of your salvation. We forget it. We get lost in all of the religious fog and all of the mantras of Christianity sometimes and all of the busyness of the day, and we forget the joy of our salvation. Just a thought. Even though we were enemies of God, He made peace with us because the Son died. Not that we are at peace with God, our eternal salvation comes through His gift of His life. We have salvation with Christ because it's a gift. You don't earn it. If it's given to you, it doesn't take it away. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus is not, not an, Indian giver, an Indian giver. Okay? Or whatever that is. I don't even know. But the person that gives something and takes it back. You know? Probably, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. But <laughs> gives something and takes it away. He doesn't do that. He doesn't hold something over your head and make you earn it. Make you leap for it. He gives it to you. Gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't wake up one day and go, you know I gave you that and I'm really sorry I actually did. I think I'm going to take that back. He doesn't do that. He, he doesn't. I know what we say. I know what we teach. I know sometimes what we believe. But I'm telling you what is true. It's what is true. His question to you is not, I'm going to take that from you. His question to you is, why aren't you using what I've given you? I've given you this gift of abundant life. Walk in it. I've given you this presence and power of my spirit. Walk in it. He's not going to take his Holy Spirit from you, Christian. You see, there's a psalm that says that. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The Spirit is imparted. He's imparted. I used to have this kind of idea. I don't know. I'm, we're having a conversation this morning. I'm not even really teaching. But I used to have this thing. I feel like God's telling me to testify of my life. So, okay, here we go. Yes, I'll testify of my life. Right? So I'm in Germany. I've told this story before. I'm in all these crazy, I'm in this place, living in Germany with my wife. We're there. We're going through all this stuff. And I had had a really broken relationship. I was in a very legalistic church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody there? Anybody with me? It's okay if you've never been in a legalistic church. I don't recommend them. So it's okay. But this church taught me how to stand up straight, comb my hair, bump my buckle. It served a huge purpose in my life. It taught me disciplines that I needed to know. But those disciplines couldn't carry me home into relationship. Discipline can only take you so far. Discipline, say this with me. Discipline, Discipline is the lowest, the lowest form of discipleship. Crickets, 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 crickets. The highest form is relationship in the Spirit. That's true discipleship. Relating His Spirit, my Spirit, my will submitted unto His will. Discipline is the default mechanism of our faith. 
So when we don't feel it, of course, we discipline ourselves. But you cannot live a Christian life out of discipline. You cannot. You cannot follow the things there. And I'm not saying that discipline doesn't matter. But discipline is like the, is like the base program of our, of, our, of our faith, right? It's the base platform. Everything else is built on it. But we're not to just operate from a level of discipline. It just doesn't work. And so discipline doesn't take you far enough. It doesn't. It served a purpose. Kevin needed to learn how to stand up straight. Kevin need to know, needed to know that he needed to read his Bible. Kevin needed to know the disciplines and the aspects of his faith. I needed that, but it couldn't take me further. And so I had left this ministry. I find myself, I'm in Germany, right? I'm in the middle of all this crazy stuff over here, right? We're living over there. I'm going, I'm going out to the place called the Beer Garden. I'm eating fish and drinking beer and all this stuff, and I'm a Christian, and everything that I was told was going to bring God's harshness down on me wasn't happening. And in fact, what was happening was God was actually blessing me. And you say, well, why was He blessing you, Kevin? Because He was trying to teach me something, that He is not the God that I perceived Him to be. And I was walking home one night from the beer garden, okay, and I'm walking English Garden, beautiful place, amazing. It's not like, you know, not a bar. It's just this beautiful, lush garden with, you know, of course, you know, beer and all this other stuff. But I was, walking home. I was walking home, and as I was walking home, I was talking to the Lord by myself. And I'm like, I don't understand why you're being blessing, why you're blessing me. I don't understand. I'm not doing any of the disciplines that I'm supposed to do. And he told me, because I'm not that kind of God to you, Kevin. And what that forced me to do was go into an entirely different arena. And every perception and perspective that I had learned about his harshness, about his judgmentalness, and everything else, I did not know that I was loved. You see? So when you view God from that context, you, you, um, we may offend some people here this morning. That's okay. Jesus is a rock of offense. Hold your chair. Okay? He is not that God. He's not. Blessing is not dependent upon you. Destiny is aligned with your choices. Everything I was doing was misaligned with my destiny, but it was not misaligned with His favor towards me. He still loved me. Regardless of where I chose to find myself, His love was still with me. And what ended up happening is then when I knew His love, and I knew I can do no wrong with this God, I began to chose His destiny. And I begin to choose His way. It's the love of Christ that compels us. Not the dictates of a, of a master. Not the dictates of a, of a God that we are in fear. Fear means honor and reverence. He's worthy of your honor and reverence. Some of you, you need to have a polar shift in the coming year. You know? Somebody might get mad, stomp out of here and go find a legalistic church because you don't like the way that I talk about Him. You per, you're a rule keeper. I had a woman tell me one time, I don't like the way you talk about God. She's like, I'm a rule keeper by nature. And I'll use, I'll, I'll use Lily's words from last week. You're lost. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's like, she's like, I like keeping the rules. I like everything like this. I like it this way. I like it that way. I don't like it like this. I said, you don't understand grace. You don't understand freedom. You don't understand the liberty of the spirit. And neither did I. I had to learn it and I had to experience it. And that is a way more healthy, alive journey than any of the other journeys I've been on. Way more life-giving. I began to walk in fullness 
and experience a world that I didn't even know existed. And a lot of Christians, you think you're experiencing this world from a legalistic standpoint, and you may not even see it as legalism. You may see it as rules. And you think you've got, you're experiencing God? Well, if you take the lid off and you enter into that, it's a whole other arena when you walk in love. And I'm not talking about this weird thing, but talking about how He's for you. So I don't know who that's for. Next slide. That's for somebody here. Some of you need to be free from religion. Some of you have been kicked out of churches, felt guilty, felt judged, felt harshed, and, you, and their perception of, of a person has been placed upon you. The identity of another person has been declared over you. Your Father has not declared that over you. Oh, you're just not saved, or you just can't keep it together, or you're just undisciplined, or you're just this, or you're just that, or you're just that. Who told you that? Who told you that? He loves you. In season and out. He's for you when you're against yourself. You need to get a revelation of that. And when you get a revelation of that, you won't run from Him, you'll run towards Him. Every time Jesus' name is speak, you'll be going, oh, yes, Jesus. <laughs> the only one who loves me. <laughs> Come on. Internal peace. Peace of God. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Peace that we experience, guys, is in the Spirit, by the Spirit. We cannot experience the presence of power or the purposes of God or the love of God unless we are in the Spirit, by the Spirit. So what's the key? Ready? Say it with me. Get, Get in, in the spirit. spirit. Amazing thing happens when you're in the Spirit. You're in a surreal world, man. You're like, couldn't it always be like this? Can I always be this way? I was driving home in my car, man. I was worshiping God. I was doing some things, just honoring Him. I felt the anointing on me. I get out of the car. I see my neighbor wimping, limping with a knee. I was like, I'm going to go pray for my neighbor. You know, they know I'm a pastor, whatever. I don't hide that. But I went and prayed for her and all this other stuff. She's like, oh, thank you. I told him, I said, listen, anytime you need prayer, anytime they're my elderly neighbors, I said, anytime you need me, anytime you need prayer, I said, come get me. I said, I may not always be in the spirit, but I said, if you need me to pray for you, if you need something from me, I said, I will get in the Spirit, you know, for you. But, you know, I, didn't, I did it without hesitation because I was in the anointing. I was under the Spirit. Whereas before, you know, you, sometimes you get out of the car, you're like, oh my gosh, I got so much to do. I got to do this. I got to make this call. I got to go here. Like, she's limping. Okay, we'll pray for her later. Let's go over here. And in the Spirit, you're just like, woo, what's happening? Yeah. Glory. You know, this is crazy anyway. You love people in the Spirit. You're forgiving in the Spirit. You're all of these things in the Spirit. Life is in the Spirit, Christian. Get in the Spirit. This freedom is in the Spirit. Get in His world. You're smarter in the Spirit. Did you know that? You, you actually think you're a genius when you're in the Spirit. <laughs> you have wisdom. You have revelation. You have insight. You have dynamic. You're like, wow. Because you're connected to the mind of Christ. You're in the Spirit. That's where life is. Spirit of God is available to you 24-7 whenever you want. Whenever you want. You have to develop the habits of things that get you there. I don't know what gets you there, but you need to find what gets you there. Worship, honor, praise. Hank was saying, I speak in tongues. I get in the car and I'm just like this and I just feel in a bad route. He said, I just start speaking in tongues. And he's like, the glory just comes. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a worshiper. Maybe you're just somebody who just stands in adoration of God. That's fine. It doesn't matter. There's no particular method. It's whatever works. And it's not either or. It's and. It's all of these things. Whatever gets you there is where you need to go. Spirit of God gives us comfort, gives us guidance, gives us forgiveness, gives us confidence, and gives us assurance. You're lacking confidence? Get in the Spirit. You're feeling unsettled by your circumstances? Get in the Spirit. <laughs> 
you won't feel unsettled for long. You'll, you won't even understand why. You're like, I do not know why, but this is going to work out. How do you know? I'm in the spirit. I don't know why, but this is going to... You'll have an assurance. You'll have a confidence. You'll have a certainty. You'll have comfort. You'll have guidance. External peace. I'm going to skip some of this, but just because we've got to move a little faster. But there's a lot of ethnic conflict in our world. Would we agree with that? And I'm going to be very clear on where the Bible comes from with this, particularly this, our viewpoint of it. There is no such thing as a race in the Bible. No such thing. The only thing the Bible defines humanity as, the divisions or the diversities, it doesn't even use divisions, it uses diversities and it uses the Greek word ethnos, which means ethnic. That's where we get our word ethnic. And you know what ethnos means? Different than you. That's all it means. Somebody different than you is an ethnos. Well, I'm from here. Well, then you're, that doesn't mean that person's another race. We're all the human race. So we got to get that language out of the church because there's no such thing as racism in the Bible. There's only ethnicities, intricacies, you know, all of these weird things. Some of us, we even have weird habits. And a person that has a weirder habit than you is an ethnos to you. They're just weirder than you. That's all that is. But it's important that we understand what the Bible is talking about. And that type of conflict, human conflict, can not be resolved by political solutions. Human conflict cannot be resolved through social solutions. Human conflict can only be resolved by the Spirit of God imparting to us a, the love of the Father, the love for ourselves, in order that we might love another. You can't love other people without the Spirit of God. So keep trying if you want to, but you're going to find that you're going to be some incredibly unlovable people around you. And the Lord is going to prove to you just how little you love. If you think you love people, you just keep on saying that without the Spirit of God, and the Lord's going to show you. You think you're patient, He's going to put people around you that will test your patience with intensity. Because what He's going to show you is you are limited, I'm not. Get in my Spirit and watch how patient you are with these people that drive you up the wall. That's what He's going to show you. He's going to show you where the power lies in order that you would put on Christ and take off all. This is, that's what he does. Next slide. <clears throat> I keep looking at my watch because I know we've got to go. Three essentials to face God, to, to God's peace. Ready? Clarity. Number one, you've got to realize you need Jesus. Number two, you've got to realize you need his peace, you need his presence, you need his power. Jeremiah 8.20 says this. This is a frightening statement. This is an inconvenient truth right here. The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. That is an inconvenient truth that will be pronounced upon the world. God's Spirit will not always tarry with men. There will come a time, we're under a season and a time and an era of a harvest, dispensation of grace where God is calling all that will unto Himself, but that will end. When will it end? Well, who knows, but we do know from the Bible that will end. The time of the harvest will end. It will end. And you do not want that statement to be yours. We are not saved. You do not want that to be your family members. You do not want that to be your neighbors. You, do not, you would need to do whatever it is to compel people unto Christ. At the very least, ask them to come to church. That's the least you can do. And Christians, you are obligated to reach the people in your world. You are obligated to reach the people around you. If you focused on five people over the next year, just five, ask the Lord to show you five and begin to pray for that person. Holy Spirit, I just release you. You begin to open up their hearts. Pray for yourself, Lord, endow me with the opportunity to invite them. Anybody can invite them. 
Say, what if they say no? Who cares if people say no? We need to get past our stupidity of rejection. That's dumb. You're valuing yourself more than you value Jesus. They don't reject you, they reject him. It has nothing to do with you. Guarantee if you said, hey, I got 50-yard line tickets to the Dolphin game, they'd go. You know, or whatever, whatever your interest is, ladies. I've got tickets to this amazing thing. They'd go. So why would we hold back? If you identified five people, neighbors, friends, family members, whoever, began to pray for them and began to invite them, not once, but consistently. Bible said they teach in sales, and evangelism is basically, you know, a lot of the stuff they probably drew from the Bible, but they tell you that you, you have to ask seven times before you'll get a yes. I guarantee you, if you ask the people around you, hey, we're doing an Easter service, come to church with me. Hey, we're doing Mother's Day, come to church with me. Hey, we got a Christmas Eve service, come to, come to church with me. If you ask that person seven times, they're going to come once. Because somewhere in that seven times, somewhere in that window, they're going to need something that they don't need at the moment you're asking them. And somewhere in that seven times, the Holy Spirit is going to have been working on their heart and they're going to be drawn. That's what it's about. We are obligated by the gospel to reach those around us. It is not an option. He doesn't give you a choice. And I've got another inconvenient truth for you, Christian. You're going to be accountable for that. If you deny that and you don't walk in that or at least make an attempt, you're going to be accountable for that. He's going to say, why didn't you reach your neighbors? Why didn't you do that? And it's not like accountability was going to... But you're going to have... You, do you want to stand before Jesus and have him ask you, hey, you know, I put co-workers around you. I put golden opportunity around you. And you didn't even step into it. Can you explain to me why? Do you want to answer that? I don't. That's not really a question I want to look at him face and go, uh... Because I was chicken. And he's going to go, I gave you my spirit. We don't really have any excuses. So what we need to do is we need to make a commitment. And if you're this year coming up, you make a commitment to five people. I didn't say 50. I didn't say the entire neighborhood. I didn't say the entire city. Just five. Five. And I guarantee you, you'll get three that will come out of the five. You might get all five, but three will come. And probably, I'm just giving you percentages. And based on those three, one or two are going to connect and commit. That's just statistically. But the problem is, is we don't even reach five. So we can't even bear fruit of one or two people a year. Because we won't even reach five. All you got to do is do five, and you're going to harvest at least two. 1.8 is the statistic. But the Christians don't reach 1.8 in 20 years. Most believers never invite anybody to church, ever. I'm not even talking about doing personal evangelism. I'm simply asking you to invite them to church. Not once, but have a pattern, have a plan, have a consistency to it. You need him. Christ, you need, Christian, you need to know you're loved and accepted. You receive Jesus' peace, you need humility. You know what humility looks like? Say it with me. Stop. Stop. Come on, this is therapy for some of you. Stop, Stop. Trying, trying to control, to control. everything. Yeah. Some of you... <laughs> some of you, you don't have peace because you're trying to control everything. You're trying to make sure everything goes as it should. I didn't say you shouldn't plan. I didn't say you shouldn't do things. But sometimes it needs to hear, what is your father saying? This is what planning looks like in the economy of heaven. You have a plan. You have a purpose. Here's how it works. You submit that plan and that purpose unto the Father. That's A. And then you let the Father speak it back to you. A lot of times Christians are looking for vision. And you know what he wants you to know? What's in your heart. We think Jesus is going to come with our life plan and slap it down in front of you. He doesn't work like that. 
It works like this. You're going to give him, you're going to, you're going to begin to know who you are, what you want, where your heart is, what, what you're feeling inclined towards, and you're going to present it to, to him. And then you're going to let him feed it back to you. And it's going to create a dialogue. And from the dialogue of, ready, relationship, he's going to lead you. So until you present the plans and the purposes, this is what I'm thinking, Lord, what do you say? He might say, great idea, why don't you start? And then as you come up against roadblocks, again, it creates the dialogue. And that's how this stuff works out. That's how the plans and the purposes of God are achieved. That's how your life is achieved. That's how your destiny is achieved. He doesn't come with, a, with the 20-point life plan and give it to you. Here you go, follow the steps. You have to try to not control everything. If you don't need him, you don't have him, Christian. You need him every minute of every hour of every day. Life is going to prove that to you, that you need him every minute of every hour of every day. Next slide. In him we move, in him we live, move, and have our being. You have to have an expectancy. Okay? Expectancy. Most Christians don't believe God for anything. You believe God for nothing, what are you going to get? Goose eggs, man. Right? Partridge in a pear tree. That's what you're, you're going to get in nothing. You're going to get an egg. You're going to get anything. We have to have an expectation. Expect. Ask, seek, and knock. Jesus is saying, put an expectation on me. Beat on the door until it opens. Call out to me until it happens. Pray seven times like Elijah sent the servant. Seven isn't the magic number. Seven is the number of completion. The servant prayed until it happened. You understand that? That's why the Bible says, he went seven times. So seven's got to be the magic number. Magic number seven. No, it's completion. He did it until it happened. Naaman dipped, not seven times. He did it until he was changed. It wasn't the magic number. It wasn't one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He did it until it happened. Until the hand of God breaks through. We push. We make what's called, and a lot of people don't have a problem with this, but I don't have a problem with this. Say this with me. We put a demand on the anointing. Are you trying to tell me that we demand of God? I never told you you demanded of God. I said you put a demand on the anointing. Jesus has, sent, Jesus has died and sent something forth. And it's called the anointing. It's called the power, the promises, the purposes. And we demand from that into our lives. There's no demand on God. We're demanding that what God has sent forth to become to pass. There's a demand upon the anointing. Jesus healed the woman. She touched the hem of his garment and she put a demand on the anointing. That anointing wouldn't have flowed unless she drew from it. It was hers by right. Do you understand that? The woman with the issue of blood, she touched the hem of his garment. He didn't rebuke her or correct her. He called her daughter. Only place in the New Testament where Jesus ever called somebody daughter was that one. Because she knew who she was, she knew what was hers, and she drew from it. She didn't ask him, she took it. She demanded from the anointing of the Christ, the anointed one, what was rightfully hers. Son of God come, the Prince of Peace comes, or whatever it is, the Son of Righteousness comes, with healing in his wings. He is the Son of Righteousness. I am a daughter through Abraham by faith. That healing, he is Jehovah Rapha. It is mine. I don't demand Jesus to do a thing, but I demand that anointing that he's released to produce. I speak to you of spiritual things, Christian. <laughs> Not of earthly. If only you had paid attention to my commands, peace would be like a river, your well-being like the water of the sea. We have to come to him. We have to yoke ourselves to him. And we have to learn from him. There's three steps right there to his peace. We have to come to him. Come unto me. Give, come to him. I know you don't feel like it. 
I know, you don't, I know it's like there's something in our flesh that has this disdain for the things of God. I know we're all holy. It's Sunday, you know. But if you're really honest with yourself, and that's the first step to a greater glory is being honest with yourself. If you're honest, you're going to say there's something in me that wars against that. And so you have to, what, I, what somebody taught me a long time ago, said kill the traitor. I said that's the traitor in you trying to betray everything that Christ wants for you. That's the Judas in you trying to keep you from what it is that God has for you. And so when you don't want to come to him, that's Judas talking, man. That ain't, that ain't Jesus. So we got to get rid of the Judas, and we got to press into the things that God has. We come to him. We yoke, which is to connect, engage, right? It's not enough to come, we must experience. So we come, we experience, and then we learn from him, and we follow him. You know what that means? Change your habits. <gasps> what? Change my habits? Yes, change your habits, Christian. Some habits, man. Habits and hang-ups. Change your habits. I could do more, but I won't. Next slide. <laughs> Last slide. You guys want to pray? Yes. Come on, let's stand up. Let's just make a prayer here. Let's make a declaration. Let's interact with this. First, first step is honesty. Seeing. Understanding. We are so self-deceived, man. Everything clouds us, so we're going to pray. So let's say this with me. Dear Jesus, Jesus, open my eyes eyes to see things things as they really are. are. To see you, to see see myself, to see see my circumstances, to bring light light into my darkness. darkness. Lord, all things things good good come from you. You You promise to come come when we call. call. So I call. I I call today. I I call for your power. I call for your presence. I call for your purpose. And I call for your peace. I believe you came to bring peace. It is mine if I will receive it. It is eternally mine if I will learn to activate it. I desire to come to you, to draw from you, and to learn from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You believe it? Come on. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. And may He be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Hot chocolate on the way out.